0: good morning I'm filling in for Bart obviously so um, I'm appreciative of the opportunity so Bart has actually allowed me to continue, continue his series in first Thessalonians so I'm gonna start in chapter 5 that's where we're at today um, I'm gonna be going over through verses 1 through 11 um, but first I'm gonna do a little bit of summary from last week just chapter 4 in chapter 4 Paul has made it clear that the Thessalonians are followers of Jesus. He explains that they did not fall into persecution. He explains that they did not give in to the tempter. Then in the second half of the chapter, Paul instructs them on how to live as followers of Jesus. And then at the end of the chapter, it says, when Christ returns, we will be together with him. Then he says to comfort one another with these words. This leads right into chapter 5, where Paul discusses the day of the Lord in a bit more detail. So, Bart said he's not going to have um, any charts and graphs. I'm going to have charts and graphs today. I'm just getting like a <laughs> uh, so, he speaks to the believers standing with God and the unbelievers standing with God. So, we'll, we'll get into that in more, de- more detail. He ends by telling Christians to encourage one another just as they did in chapter 4. All right, so let's jump right into the passage. Um, Again, we're in chapter 5, and then we're going to go over 1 through 11. I'll read it. Now, as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation for God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will be together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you also are doing. All right, let's jump right into the passage. Let's go back to verse one. Now, as to the times and the epics, you have no need of anything to be written to you. The Greek word used to describe this time that Jesus is coming. is called kiros. Now, as to the times. Times means as time passes, and then epics means a point or a special season in time. So why does he say at the end of this, why does he say you have no need of anything to be written to you? To better explain this, I'm going to jump over to Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 6 and 8, um here jesus is speaking to the disciples it says in verse 6 so when they had come together they were asking him saying lord is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to israel he said to them so jesus responded it is not for you to know the times or epochs.' so you, so jesus here he's using the same terminology he's using times and epics which the father has fixed by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witness both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So how do we think about this? In chapter 4, he discussed the second coming and here in chapter 5, he's answering the question of when. So with that in mind, let's go back to verse 1. You have no need of anything to be written to you, just as Jesus said in this verse in, in Acts it is not for you to know. So he's basically saying as to the times and the epochs, you don't need to worry about it. Don't try and calculate one. Basically leave the times and the epochs to Jesus. All right. So this is similar to what Bart expressed in in last week's sermon. If you are doing what a good servant of Christ is should be doing when the second coming is here, you won't be ashamed. Do the work of the Great Commission, just like it said at the the end of this passage in Acts. All right, let's keep reading. We'll keep going here. Verse 2. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. So he says, you yourselves know full well. What does that mean? Paul, most likely, you know, is the one who taught them all of these things. So he's just confident that they remember. Leads us to the day of the Lord. So obviously he's talking about the second coming of Jesus. The point the point is here Jesus is coming back plain and simple um, two general kind of takeaways from this um, about the second coming one the Saints will be gathered together with him when it says in Colossians 3 verse 4 it says when Christ who is our life is revealed then you also will be revealed with him in glory so the second point is God will punish the evil in this world. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, it says, dealing retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's read verse 2 again. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. So just like a thief in the night, what does that mean? The word thief here is used to describe the second coming many times in Scripture. In the book of John it uses thief and Peter it uses thief and then of course Paul uses it here and then also again in Matthew uh, Jesus Jesus uses the word so I'm gonna read a bit in Matthew it's kind of a longer passage um, but it perfectly aligns up with what we're talking about here in this passage and of it's it's one of Jesus's parables he, he speaks to the second coming this passage um, well I'll just jump right into it verse 36 of chapter 24 in Matthew But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until that day Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will be the second coming of the Son of Man. Then there will be two men in the field one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill one will be taken and one will be left therefore be on alert so he uses that word alert we'll see that in a few a few verses for you do not know which day the lord is coming but be sure of this that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief here he uses thief was coming he would have been on alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into for this reason you also, must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will so summarize quickly so the people were living the normal life just like it says in this passage the water swept them away so it's going to be exactly the same when second coming happens all right let's keep reading verse 3 it'll, it'll better help us understand what Paul means by thief in the night so verse 3 while they are saying peace and safety Then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. So the second coming, it it is going to feel like a thief in the night to these people. So verse three again, while they, they is referring to unbelievers or the nations, while they are saying peace and safety. What does peace and safety mean? Peace in this context means national tranquility or exempt from the havoc of war. Safety means stability or security from enemies or dangers. So just like we read in, in Acts about Noah, and also in, we see this throughout Scripture, there were people who believed they can have peace without God. But the other side of this is they are oblivious to what is coming. This is the idea of the thief. They are not prepared, and it will completely surprise them. In our own lives, lives we know we know people like this they think their life is fine they're on their own they they are doing things they're living life on their own they're not worried about death or the gospel or anything like that so then it says then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child so this this is speaking to the suddenness or inevitability it also speaks to the pain Here, I believe he's mainly describing the suddenness and inevitability, not so much the pain. Elsewhere in scripture, it talks about the second coming and unbelievers and and the pain. Um, It says they will not escape. In the end, put simply, the wicked will not win. They will not be ready for it. They will not escape the wrath of God. As I was thinking about the the second coming and how it will be, you know, Scripture gives you as much as you need to know about a particular subject. Um, there are other places in Scripture where, where it talks about the second coming, but it seems all very similar And uh, in that it will be a day where every this, every prideful person will bow their knee, and every born-again Christian, well, it will be, it will be a glorious day. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day will overtake you like a thief. He says, but you. He's speaking to believers, those who have been born again. He says, you are not in darkness. Here he's making a huge distinction between believers and unbelievers. Here he's saying to you, Christians, followers of Jesus, the ones who have given your lives to the Lord. I was thinking about characteristics of a believer, um, and just trying to explain it. So your mind, as a believer, you are not in darkness anymore, and that's what he says here. If you've been born again, so your mind and heart are not clouded anymore. You do not know when God is coming back, obviously, but you are looking to him. You are looking forward to his coming. You're studying his words. You're studying his law. You're seeking to walk according to his commandments. If you should be preparing your heart, you're cultivating faithfulness and godliness. You want to be pleasing to him so that when you sin, you feel guilty and you never want to do it again. Yes, you shouldn't have sinned in the first place, but when you do um, feel guilty, I mean, it's okay. It's a sign that obviously the Holy Spirit is convicting you. Now, if you continue to do the same sin over and over again, that's a different sermon. Uh, So all of this, it comes down to this point. If he comes at midnight tonight, or tomorrow, or 10 years, or even our li- in our lifetime, we should be ready. We should be doing what born-again Christians should be doing. All right, let's keep moving. So verse 5, 4, you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. We are different than those around us. We are in Christ. Nothing can take that from us. Then Paul says, we are not of night. And then he repeats himself again for emphasis. Again, we are not of darkness. So I believe he repeats himself again for people like me who, it's not that I forget that I'm a born-again Christian. It's that I forget sometimes on a bad day where my identity lies. I'm not a slave to my flesh any longer. It's reminding myself I'm a slave to Christ, as it says in Romans So he says, You are all sons of light and sons of day. If you are in Christ, you are a son of light. It doesn't matter how long you've been in the faith, it doesn't matter the maturity you've gained. If you are in Christ, you are a son of light. So keep in mind, I'm not not saying as soon as Christ saves you, you you're this perfect person, that you won't sin any longer. It's just you begin the process of, th- of sanctification. You start replacing those lies you have in your mind and heart with truth of Scripture. This was talked about in, in chapter four. I've heard Christians say this: um, "Well, I'm a born-again Christian, but my personality is going to stay with me a little bit. I, I won't, I won't completely change." Typically, and it's it's in a negative context. T- context. Um, it's as if they were saying, yes, I'm born again, but that little bit of part of me, my personality, or what I got from my parents, this idea, it's as if they were saying it's never going to leave. And I just want to ask, do you, do you not understand what it means to be born again? Um, he, says, he says it so explicitly here that we are not of the darkness anymore. You are born again. You're not in the same body. You are now of the light. So thinking about this one, um, when I realize now that I'm in the light, that I am a new creation, it makes me better able to live the Christian life. I can obey him. I can walk in his favor. I can walk in his power. Christ has put me in so many situations where it's just been fruitful. When Christ took control of my life and gave me convictions that I never felt before, I I was never the same. I'm a different person because of what he's done to me personally. So when he did that in my life, I ran with those convictions, praise God. Um, But what I soon realized that even though those convictions were there, I still had to be obedient. So I had these strong convictions, but they can easily fade quickly. So I had to work hard to continually believe that I'm in the light. I am a new creation because of Christ. All right, let's keep moving. Go on to verse 6. It actually leads right into verse 6. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be sober. He says, don't sleep as others do. What does that mean? In the Greek, it means to yield to sloth and sin. Another way to look at this is to be indifferent to your salvation. To be asleep is to not be worried about spiritual things. We still have to be on guard to spiritual apathy. Um, we can fall into spiritual laziness so easily. It's easy to fall into what the world is doing. So he says, let us be on alert. Let us be, let's be, let us be alert and sober. So this put simply means to live a Christ-like life. So I want us to notice something important here. In, in verse five, Paul's saying, who we are in Christ, who our identity is in Christ. And then in verse 6, he's telling us to live differently. It's crucial for us for the next step. We must first understand what Scripture says about us before we start living differently. Paul was saying we are sons of day in verse 5, and now he is saying to be different, to be Christ-like. In 1 Corinthians uh, 16, verse 13, Paul uses the same word alert. He says, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. In 1237, it says, blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert. He uses that word alert when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. So the word sober in these contexts means to be awake, to be thoughtful, to be self-controlled. Here Paul is going back to what he said in in previous chapters. So in verse Thessalonians, yeah, in chapter 4, 1 through 8, again, Bart talked about this, but it is saying that we do not live by our lusts and passions. We do not do whatever we want. We are self-controlled. In 1 Peter 1.13, it says, therefore prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. All right, let's keep going. Verse 7, for those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. So here he's just emphasizing again that these people are in darkness, and we are not in darkness. Keep reading. Verse 8, but since we are of the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate, breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet of hope and salvation. So put on a breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Paul here is referencing chapter one, where he says, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father. So in order to be self-controlled, we have to act like we are preparing for battle, and that's why he uses these examples. A mentor of mine, he used to say this this often, that we must think of every day as a battle. We must not take sin and temptation lightly. We must put on the armor. We are being attacked from every angle. The only way to put on this armor and ensure we have self-control is to be in the Word of God every day, every morning, preparing our hearts for the day. The breastplate and helmet are defensive, just saying, and that means we are under attack from our culture, from sin, from temptation, from laziness. We have to stand firm. All right, let's keep going. Verse 9 and 10, I'm going to read both of those. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will be together with him. So he says, For God has not destined us for wrath. Those who are not born-again Christians will receive God's wrath and justice. God is just in his punishment. We see this throughout Scripture. A couple of verses to go over this gives us a little context to this word, wrath. I thought that was interesting. He just kind of threw that word in there. Um, and how he will have his justice so a couple verses in Romans it says in verse 22 of chapter 9 what if God although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction and then also in Romans chapter 2 verse 5 but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Okay, verse 9 again. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. As I was thinking about this, this is the gospel. This, this is why I love when Bart told me, mention verses 1 through 11. I read through it, and I'm like, oh my goodness, it's It's the gospel. If it tells you who you are and then tells you what to do, then here it reminds us exactly of why we are able to do any of this, and it's because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Don't ever let the gospel get old. Um, This is the good news. God's wrath to unbelievers is equal to his gift to believers. The the Bible is very clear on this, that God's wrath is just, it, it is just, and he will punish those who are not in the light. But for those who are in Christ, our hope is in him. What he has done on the cross is the hope we have because of what he's promised to us. And in Romans chapter eight, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So side note, I was thinking about gospel verses and it's really a tangent, but it's really good gospel verse. It's second Corinthians Uh, 521. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. All right, anyways, let's keep reading. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. This is also jumping back to chapter four, where Paul talks about those who have died will meet Christ in heaven as well. All right, let's keep going here. Verse 11, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you also are doing. Paul uses this word encourage again. Bart went into great detail um, explaining encourage. um, But just as a reminder, the Greek is parakaleo, para meaning beside, near, with, alongside, and then kaleo meaning to call or summon. And Paul's he's not being a hypocrite here he has done this with Timothy and he's just calling the church to do the same thing he's saying do not be a stagnant Christian just like it was mentioned in the previous chapter there is continuous sanctification there's always room to grow and a part of this growth which I'm still learning about is being a part of a church being a part of a group of believers we cannot do this on our own. We were never made to do this on our own. Um, we all need encouragement. And and this is something I fall into. Don't go on thinking that, well, I'm less than perfect, so I can't encourage somebody else. I, I may sin. I have this thing that's going on. How can I go up to somebody and encourage them? Stop that. Get rid of that thought. we are commanded to spur one another on. We're commanded to encourage one another, just like it says in chapter 4. Encourage, comfort, help one another, build one another up, strengthen each other's faith. Okay, so that's the 11 verses. We went through a lot. I'm going to go over my four big takeaways. So, number one, do not worry about when the exact day of the Lord will be live as though he was coming back tomorrow. This, okay? Bart used this. It's a perfect convicting question. If Jesus were to come back, would you be watching Netflix, or would you be eating dinner with that neighbor you invited over and you were sharing the gospel with them? James, in the book of James, it says, your life is like a vapor. It goes so quickly. So live for the kingdom. Takeaway number two, be self-controlled. Faith, love, hope, just holy living. Do not, do not get caught up in the temporary pleasures of this world. As I was thinking about these points and writing them out, I was I was mainly talking to myself and what what do I need to do? I need to be self-controlled as a man. I, I think of try to think of every day as a battle, put on the armor. Fight the good fight. Run the race. Uh, point number three, we are made to attain salvation. So this, this is just, when Paul was saying this, he was saying, this is the wonderful news of the gospel. He has paved a way for us guilty sinners to live eternally with him. The day of the Lord will be horrific for unbelievers, but it will be a glorious day for us born-again Christians. Point number four, encourage others to live for Christ. This has, as I was thinking about this, has convicted me greatly because, as I was thinking about it, I cannot waste my time with small talk or meaningless discussions. I should be pushing one another, I should be motivating one another, talking about eternal things with my believers, my fellow believers. Remind Christians that they are not in darkness, that they are in the light, that they do not identify with their flesh any longer. Re- remind them of what Christ has done for them. So, as we go about our week, may we look forward to our King's return. Let's be busy doing good work for our King. Be sober-minded. Put on the armor of God. And lastly, as Paul says throughout First Thessalonians, Encourage one another to do the same. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to share your word. I pray that the church would take your word and just run with it throughout their lives. I ask that we as believers would go about this week as seeking to do your will. I pray that we would look less like the world each day, that we would love each other more, um, that we would love you more and more, um, that we would look forward to your return. I pray that we put on the armor of God, that we go out into your kingdom to do your work, and that we would encourage one another to do the same. And I pray this in your wonderful name. Amen.